Hey, y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, NPR business correspondent Alina Selyuk and Supreme Court correspondent for BuzzFeed News, Chris Geithner. All right, let's start the show. Good God. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute here with two guests today, Chris Geithner, legal editor at BuzzFeed News. How busy has your week been? Um, it, it's it's been a week. We but we we've, <laughs> we've had a lot of those recently. So <laughs> that is true. That is true. Also here with Alina Seljuk, business correspondent for NPR. Guessing your week was pretty busy as well. Pretty busy. Well, I'm so glad you both made the time uh, to talk with me to wrap up the week of news, and I'm so glad to be playing the song that I'm playing for you both uh, right now. It is a new, well, old but new, Prince song. It's called 17 Days. Called you yesterday. You not your phone. I feel like I'm already ready for the weekend just listening to the song. Right? Turn the voice down a little. So this is from an album of old Prince demos that was released late last month. The album's called... Piano and a Microphone 1983, and it's these nine unreleased Prince demos from way back then. And so the thing about this is that, like, these aren't the, like, finished versions of these songs. These are the demos, the scratched tracks, just Prince at the piano playing the songs to show his band and his team how he wanted to do the songs with the full band later. And there's these really interesting moments in these songs. Like, you can hear where Prince starts to beatbox to basically show the drummer how he wants the drums to sound. Wow. It's just amazing. And so, but what's so weird about this is that, like, because these are demos, there are big questions as to whether or not Prince wanted this released. Right. Mm -hmm. He also famously fought streaming services like YouTube and Spotify. So the fact that you can hear these songs on those platforms, Mm. it's weird. I feel guilty hearing this stuff, but I also love it. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of those those things. It's sort of like your journalist uh, instinct is like, yes, we want to see this. Yeah, it's like people must know. But would he have wanted people to know? Exactly. Anyway, Alina and Chris are here with me to look back on the week of news and culture and everything else. All right, first, we're going to start by having each of my guests, and me too, describe our week of news in only three words. Chris, you have been covering the opening of the Supreme Court's term this week. You've seen the current justices back on the bench. You go first. Yeah, I, I mean, we, we're in this uh, strange position again of uh, starting out a Supreme Court term with only eight justices. And uh, the thing was that within the court, like, it was a very different world from what we're seeing outside. And and the three words were compromise for now. Um, mm. You've got this truly 4-4 court. There, there is no swing vote right now. You've got these four conservatives, these four more liberal justices. And what it was is that you saw different sorts of questions. You mm. you saw sort of like one of the cases was about the death penalty, which in the past has led sort of Justice Alito and Justice Sotomayor to to face off rather rather strongly against each other. Mm. Uh, and yet 
during this case, it was sort of like, well, I, I, I disagree with your position and would like to understand how it is that you think this. It was it was not so they were nice too. Yeah, it was. It almost felt like Chief Justice Roberts was like sat them down before the term began and was like, "Guys, we're in a a tough spot right now. We all know it. Let's be adults. Be classy. Yeah. So what cases are on the docket for this new term? What are the big ones? It's sort of an understated docket. We don't have huge cases that everybody is going to be paying attention to at first. Um, And it really will depend on where the justices come down with their decision. One of the cases that that's gotten a lot of attention is this question over dual sovereignty, whether or not you can can face uh, criminal charges, both under federal charges and state charges. And this case has been focused on by a lot of people as like, that if they get rid of dual sovereignty, that that Trump will be able to pardon people because there won't be able to be state charges against his associates. Um, but the fact is that a lot of states already have rules that if you've been charged under federal, you can't face state charges, including New York. Yeah. So then what I hear you saying is that right now, because the court is deadlocked four to four, it is... Um, a lot less political than it might be. Although what the U.S. public is seeing is, as far as the Supreme Court goes right now is just Kavanaugh, 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 which is very political. Yeah. It's just I mean, juxtaposition. I, I really think that last Thursday was a, a really bad day for the court. That that was not a person who I can see on the Supreme Court. Like it, it, it was brazen, out and out, intentionally acrimonious partisanship. If you remember when when Justice Ginsburg like made those comments about Trump during the campaign, she actually did pull back and basically apologize for it. And I imagine yeah. that that was the result of a, a conversation with the chief justice. Uh, so, Alina, what's your take on all of this as someone watching it, but not particularly covering it? Mm, it's hard to say the memory of a new cycle is extremely short these days. Um, so I, I hesitate mm. to say that if uh, Brett Kavanaugh becomes the new Supreme Court justice, that you know 20 years later, this moment in history won't be perceived um, much differently than you know the uh, Anita Hill hearings. You know, mm. fast. It's just a thing that we kind of just shrug off now. Right. So I hesitate to say that it will have some kind of transformative moment, but I also don't discount the possibility that it will be a transformative moment. Um, I just yeah. think we have to see how exactly the nomination plays out. One big difference that I think is part of the change times is, I mean, remember when Justice Thomas took the bench, there was only one other woman on the court, and right. it was a, a woman appointed by a Republican president. Justice Sandra mm-hmm. Day O'Connor. Um, I mean, after last week, right. I- if Brett Kavanaugh joins the court, he's going to be joining a court with with three justices who, I mean, I'm sure Justice Sotomayor has things yeah. to say to him. Has some thoughts. Yeah. We should say here, we're taping this Friday morning. So you might hear this after we know for sure whether Brett Kavanaugh has been confirmed for a seat on the Supreme Court. All right, I'm going to go next. My three words are California versus Trump. And I say that because 
the issue that I geek out the most no. in the news about is in the no. news again. I'm talking about net neutrality, Alina. You know I love this stuff. <laughs> The silence you hear is me leaving the room. I know you're tired of talking about it as a tech reporter, but I'm going to make you talk about it just for a little bit. I'm bringing it up and talking about California because uh, the Trump Justice Department this week sued the state of California to block California's new net neutrality law. The backstory is a few months ago, uh, the Trump administration rolled back existing net neutrality rules. And California, in response, said, we'll make our own. I think uh, before we go anywhere else with this, I'm going to let the tech reporter tell us in a nutshell what net neutrality is. <laughs> so uh, I think the line that I sent to you guys is someone uh, said to me on Twitter, I-, I think this week, last week, I don't know, it's all weeks together these days, um, is that ne- net neutrality for the tech reporters and the tech lobbyist world is like the internet version of Hotel California. Uh, because <laughs> the issue has been going on for 10 10 plus years. Yeah. But anyways, the the long story short is net neutrality rules went off the books uh, in the summer. And the net neutrality rules previously um, established internet service providers were not allowed to make your websites load slower. They were not allowed to charge a little extra for slightly faster speeds, loading speeds. They weren't allowed to strike deals uh, with like Netflix to get your Netflix slightly faster than your Hulu. Similarly, um, in California, case, what California brought back are all of those rules, plus in addition, one other rule that prohibited um, like a Verizon from giving you um, access to Hulu that wouldn't count toward your uh, data restrictions. So basically, um, California was saying these ISPs, these service providers can't play favorites, which is the basic kind of, in a nutshell, what neutrality means. Right. I, I like to I like to describe it as how much power should your internet service provider have over your internet experience? So then, so California puts these rules in place on the state level. The Trump DOJ sues, but the bigger point for me is that this is yet another example of California showing a type of resistance to Trump that may not be the first thing that we think about when we say the word resistance. Like we say that word, we think of people on the ground protesting, but there is a resistance to the Trump White House coming from state houses. Chris, what is this kind of legal resistance? How effective is it? I mean, a lot of it is from the AGs. It's from California AG Becerra. It's from uh, New York AG Barbara Underwood. Also, there have been some some counties, Santa Clara County in California, San Francisco County. You basically have always had this. I mean, if you remember all of Texas lawsuits against DAPA and DACA under the Obama administration. Oh, yeah. This has been the, the way for the AGs of the other party of the president uh-huh. to sort of try and say, we're back to our dual sovereignty. Um, I was just going to say that. <laughs> the, it, it's states trying to say, we want to do our thing and we should be allowed to do so. Um, so is that more effective than protesters just on the ground saying stop Donald Trump? I mean, I think they're two totally different things. I, I think that yeah. the reality of what Trump has done has led to a lot of lawsuits that probably regardless of the the 
environment on the ground, Democratic AGs would have fought back against. But the yeah. the fact is that in a, a liberal state, you cannot go wrong right now uh, by, Suing by Donald Trump. putting your name. <laughs> yeah, by getting a lawsuit that is your name v. Trump. So more to come for sure. Alina, do you yes. have three words? I do. My three words are up to 15. And this is that's, about... Okay, that's about Amazon. Money. Yes. <laughs> dollars. Um, so Amazon made huge waves this week, uh, announcing that the company will raise the minimum wage for its lowest paid workers uh, up to $15. So this is mainly uh, for warehouse workers. Mm-hmm. And... This is big because I don't know if you knew this, but Amazon is now the second largest private employer in the United States. Really? Whoa. Who's the first? Walmart. So <laughs> oh Walmart's number one, okay. Amazon's number two. And huh. this change will affect, by Amazon's estimates, uh, 350,000 workers this year. That's and a lot. About a third of them are are, se- are expected seasonal hires. Um, and... Did you know what the federal minimum wage is? It's $7.25. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, So this is much higher than that. It's like double. It's remarkable to me. I mean, thinking how how long it's been since I had my first job and... It hasn't changed it just that much. Change. And actually, well, I remember it was five something when I was just starting out, yes. and then it yeah. bumped to seven while I was still like an adolescent. But it's been there for a long time. Yeah. So my question, though, Alina, is like, is it fair or unfair that I saw this news from Amazon and said? Oh, well, it's also a PR ploy. You know, they've had some critique of their business practices, how they treat employees. They've had some critique over the fact that Jeff Bezos is so rich while their employees are making some $11 an hour. Is this a thing that Amazon had to do for some good PR as well? I think the PR is a convenient uh, element to this. To give you an example... Senator Bernie Sanders has spent many years battling for um, higher wages for minimum wage workers and has And fighting Amazon. Like, he's been calling Amazon yes. out for a while now. He introduced a bill that's called Stop Bezos Act. <laughs> uh, so, you know, <laughs> that's no love specific. lost there. <laughs> yeah. And on Tuesday, when Amazon came out with this announcement, I talked to Senator Sanders, and his line was... I got to give credit where credit is due. And Amazon and Jeff Bezos made the right call. It's a good decision. So it's, yes, PR is definitely part of it. And another really huge element to all of this is that the economy is presenting an extremely tight labor market. There are more job openings than workers. And Amazon is heading into the season. Um, Holidays are coming up. They're going to be fighting for these workers that that they need, but also Walmart needs and Best Buy needs and all these other retailers need. And, you know, having a $15 minimum wage and this this bump in um, coverage of that, I'm sure can't hurt. Helps them attract workers. Well, I could talk about Amazon all day, as you know, Alina. <laughs> Let's do it. What's stopping uh-huh. you? This is your show, right? All right, it's time for a break. Uh, when we come back, I'm going to talk with two high school students in Texas, and their friends nominated them to be on the homecoming court. Uh, but they're both young women, and this set off a bit of a firestorm. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. We'll be right back. 
Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, a web platform for creating your own professional website. With Wix, whether it's your first time creating a website or you're a longtime pro, you can do it yourself. Choose from hundreds of stunning templates or start from scratch with drag-and-drop technology and powerful web features. Join over 125 million people already using Wix to create their own websites. Go to wix.com to create yours today. So what will you create? Support also comes from Netflix and their upcoming film, Hold the Dark, a gripping psychological thriller directed by Jeremy Solnier. Revenge and horror unfold in the treacherous Alaskan wilderness when a retired wolf expert is summoned to investigate a child's disappearance. A riveting examination of human nature and the mysteries of the wilderness. Starring Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, and Riley Keough. Watch the new film, Hold the Dark, now only on Netflix. Planet Money tip number 17. Sometimes, life is exactly like the movies. T-minus 30 seconds. They said T-minus. They said T-minus. Planet Money, a podcast about the economy and sometimes about rocket ships. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was... Here with two guests this week, Chris Geidner, legal editor at BuzzFeed News, and Alina Seljuk, business correspondent for NPR. Uh, I have a question for you both. Be honest. Do either of you remember your homecoming from high school? Well, I've only been to one because I was an exchange student, so I remember it extremely vividly. But it was also extremely confusing because I had never known that such an event existed. It was very strange. Uh Uh-huh. Chris? I think I went. I was I was a closeted gay boy in Youngstown, Ohio. Um, so I went with a okay. girl, and I I'm, I know I went to like homecoming and prom, but they they, they were not the the notable uh, life moments that they are for some others. Yeah, I remember going to prom junior and senior year, but I remember the homecoming dance. I was in marching band, so we finished you know the marching band stuff for the game. I walked in the homecoming dance, which was like in the like main hallway of the high school, and then I was like, I don't want to do this, and I went right home. <laughs> I literally was <laughs> oh there for three God. minutes. <laughs> Anyways, I'm bringing up homecoming because it's the subject this week of our long distance call. Listeners, you know, long distance is a segment where we call up someone somewhere in the world and talk with them about the news. So this week I talked with two students from Austin High School in my home state of Texas. Uh, Their names are Cecilia McBride and Story Dornsife. I asked them about their homecoming story. Uh, They're your average teenagers in the high school band. Cecilia plays marimba, stories in the color guard. So where are you both now? Uh, We're both hiding in a corner uh, near our band hall. (laughs) So fun fact, I also was in marching band when I was in high school. I am from Texas, uh, just about an hour south of you guys. Nice. Where'd you go? I went to Judson High School for two years and to Clemens High School in shirts for two years. No way. No way. I was a saxophone player. I was a drum major, so I am having fond, fond, fond thoughts of my days hiding in the corner of the band hall. (laughs) We actually just played Jetson at a competition on Saturday. Really? Small world, small world. Yeah. (laughs) Cecilia and Story, they're a couple, and their friends nominated them to be on the homecoming court. We just honestly just wanted the opportunity to win together. Um, We didn't have to win together, but, I mean, we didn't even have the chance. 
or at least originally we did it. Cecilia wanted to run on the homecoming court as a king, but the school administration told her that only boys can be kings and only girls can be queens. Cecilia and Story said that this made it impossible for a gay couple to actually win together. They pushed back, and the school actually changed the rules that same day. They decided to have no gendered titles in the homecoming contest. No kings, no queens. Everyone on the homecoming court would just be known as, quote, royals. But that didn't make Cecilia and Story happy. I mean, it's definitely a step forward, but it's another way of avoiding acknowledging um, same-sex couples. Story, how do you feel about this? We think they were overcompensating rather than just including. And that while it shouldn't have been specific of gender, they should have just made it so you were voting for two people regardless of their gender. That person got to chose whether or not they were announced as a king or a queen or anything in between. And it was up to them. It wasn't up to the school to say, we're going to take out couples, we're going to take out genders because one couple wants to run together. A spokesperson for the school told us, quote, We can say that we believe the resolution is an appropriate one. Austin Independent School District is committed to creating a safe, supportive environment for all students and staff, including those who identify as LGBTQ+. Since the change, Cecilia and Story have been dealing with the fallout. Other students support them, but don't like the outcome. They're pretty much on the same plate as we are when they say that they don't think that the school did what they should have done. They don't like the new policy. It isn't what homecoming is supposed to be about. Um, outside of Austin, people that are hearing about it, the comments online, they're not very positive. What's been the worst kind of comments? They're mostly basically saying that we're, that we're f- and that we're snowflakes and that we're asking for special treatment and that this is exactly what they would have expected out of electing a same-sex couple is that they would ruin homecoming for everybody else. People really think this is going to ruin homecoming? Well, we ended up taking away the whole homecoming tradition. Gotcha. Is there going to be other stuff that you all go through throughout this year, uh, your senior year, right? Yeah. That will have to, I mean, like, there's probably going to be other gendered roles for other senior year traditions as well, like, is there going to be a situation when it comes to prom king and queen? What happens next? Uh, yes, actually, the one of the teachers that has been talking to us throughout this whole issue mentioned, like, offhandedly as a joke, she was like, and I can't wait for when we get to prom season. Like, <laughs> you two are running for prom king and queen, how that's going to turn out. Oh, my goodness. So there may be more drama ahead before the year is done. Yeah, probably. So these two young women, Cecilia and Story, they've been dealing with this fallout. Some students support them. Others don't like the outcome. The votes actually aren't done yet. That's going to happen next week. But this story really made me think, like, Austin, Texas is a pretty progressive city, not just for Texas, but for the country. And so you have this school administration that is trying to, in some way, be an ally to these young women, but even they can't figure out what the right language is, what the right terms should be. I think we're in this period where defining and letting gender roles be more fluid can be confusing for some people. I I just celebrated my 41st birthday, and one of the things that I've learned is, like, 
that means that I'm getting older and I'm not going to necessarily understand how a younger group of people is looking at things. And I mean, we could have been having this same conversation 20 years ago and somebody saying like, they're trying to be supportive. Why aren't they okay with just being known as friends? Why, why, why do we need to talk about the fact that they're a gay couple and that they're together? Like that's like talking about their sex lives. There has, have always been these issues about how we use language and what it means. And, and the fact is that older people have often been confused about how younger people want to use that language. And what is satisfactory to them and what is offensive to them. It's, yeah. it's hard to yeah, it's hard to know that if you're not in that circle. Speaking of offensive, how offensive or inoffensive uh, was your homecoming dress, Alina, as an exchange student. I'm trying to remember what I wore. I do remember the prom and I wore a fedora and I regret that. Uh, <laughs> I, I very much regret that. Um, I don't remember what I wore for homecoming. I do remember the homecoming game because it was my first ever f- American football game. And Whoa, it was how was that? So confusing. <laughs> None of it made sense. But I wore the colors, and I, so I do remember my red T-shirt and and um, red and black were our colors. I went to Lincoln <laughs> Did High, you enjoy Lincoln, it? Nebraska. Oh wow! I want to see pictures of the fedora. No Alina. pictures exist. <laughs> okay. She burned all right. them all. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Listeners, we would love to call you for our long distance segment. If you got a story that you want to talk about with us, shoot me an email at samsanders at npr.org. Samsanders at npr.org. All right, time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? This week, it involves fire. BRB. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message come from National Geographic and the new film Free Solo from the directors of Maru. Hailed by critics as one of the most arresting documentaries of the year and a stunning real-world thriller, Free Solo is the breathtaking portrait of climber Alex Honnold as he prepares to achieve his lifelong dream, climbing the face of the world's most famous rock, the 3,200-foot El Capitan in Yosemite National Park, without a rope. Free Solo is in theaters starting September 28th. Support also comes from Legacy Recordings, presenting Paul Simon's new album, In the Blue Light. Fresh perspectives on 10 of his favorite songs, including Darling Lorraine, Renee and Georgette Magritte, and One Man Ceiling, available at Amazon now. On Bullseye, I talk with people who make amazing work. Greta Gerwig, Errol Morris, ASAP Ferg. The conversations are real and funny, and they take you somewhere unexpected. Find Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests, Alina Selyuk, business correspondent for NPR, and Chris Geidner, legal editor at BuzzFeed News. Uh, it is time for my favorite game, Who Said That? So, Alina, yes. you're an old pro at this game. <laughs> Basically, I will share three quotes from the week. You can guess who said it or what story I'm talking about or a keyword. Uh, I'm not a stickler. And the winner of this game gets absolutely nothing. Oh, good. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Ready for the first one? Okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, here we go. Here we go. We'll try it. First quote, 
I cannot deny that women made a great achievement over the past century. There is significant progress recorded by people who study women's status throughout history. Is it something Nobel Prize related? Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> Did either of you see any headlines about a really weird article in an in-flight magazine? <gasps> oh, week? my God, yes. What? This was the Drew Barrymore article. Yes. yes. There you go. You got it. You got it. <laughs> so in Egypt Air's in-flight magazine this month, there was an interview with Drew Barrymore. Ooh. But it turns out the entire interview seems to be fake. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. Like, she it never just... spoke to them and they just made she it never... up? So when reached for comment, Drew Barrymore's PR team said that she never did the interview. Uh, Egypt Air is not backing down from this interview. They say it was conducted by the former <laughs> president of the Hollywood Press Association. But the thing is, when you read the interview... The English is very bad, and it just does not at all seem like a kind of conversation that Drew Barrymore would so give. I have two. I have two questions about this. <laughs> Question one is: Did they just interview someone else that they confused with Drew Barrymore? And if if they actually made up the whole thing, then why did they make up an interview with Drew Barrymore? There were pictures and everything. Yeah, there were pictures. It was weird. So like they talk about Drew Barrymore before they get into the quotes from her or the fake quotes from her. And the article opens up this way, literally, quote, Despite the several unsuccessful marriages and despite the busy life of stardom that dominated her life for several years, the beautiful American Hollywood actress Drew Barrymore has recently decided to temporarily take an unlimited vacation to play her most crucial role as mother. Wow. I'm, like, it's did they really just, weird. Did they just look up some other Drew Barrymore and convince themselves <laughs> that this was the... This was legit. <laughs> so there's a version of this article that also appeared in another Arabic publication, which raises the possibility that those quotes had been translated from English to Arabic, then back to and English. Back. But that just makes it even crazier. This is the craziest story I've seen in the last few months. It's like, make your own adventure. Make your own interview. Yeah. So, Chris, you're up one zip. Who would have yes. thought? First time. Amazing. So proud of you. <laughs> Second quote is, uh, just tell me what it's about, what the, what the story keywords are. The quote is, sometimes your child's gender identity is actually fire. And like Scar in The Lion King, honey, you'd better be prepared. I'm sorry, what? What story this week involved fire and babies and child's gender identity? Oh, oh, it's the guy who said the we're doing was doing a gender reveal party and set the whole forest on fire. Ah! Yes! Good job, Alina. That's all I have about that story. That is exactly he was, what it is. He was a Border Patrol agent. Is that what it is? He's a Border Patrol agent. He was off duty. His name is Dennis Dickey. He's from Arizona. And he says it was all a mistake. What he wanted to do was shoot at this target that contained tannerite, which is just explosive, so that when he shot the tannerite, it would explode, and you would see this explosion of blue or this explosion of pink, and that would reveal the child's gender. The explosion was too explosive. It started a fire that got so big. Fire got so big, it got a name, the Sawmill Fire. Nearly 800 firefighters had to fight this fire. It consumed more than 45,000 acres of land. I mean... I, I cannot. I, I definitely did see that story, um, and that was no, one that I just passed. I also had no idea that there was a whole quote in the story about the gender yeah, being fire. No. Um, well, so that actually was from a humor writer, oh, okay. uh, R. Eric okay. Thomas. He wrote kind of a parody article about this story uh, for better. Elle magazine. 
And he kind of made us all chuckle about how absurd these gender reveal parties can be. Yeah, I mean, it started with cakes and then it progressed into like balloon releases out of boxes, flags flying in the sky. And- there was one where this father had an alligator for the gender reveal party. And he had a watermelon that he put in the alligator's mouth. And the watermelon was filled with either blue dye or pink dye. So when the alligator bit down on the watermelon, the pink or blue color would ooze out of the watermelon to reveal the gender. Ooze is not a word I want to hear about a gender reveal party. I don't get it at all. And, like, I want to understand. And I try to understand. (laughs) I don't understand. It's a party. You know, it's a a reason to celebrate. I get it. I I don't need an alligator at a party. But the alligator, (laughs) right, the extremeness of it is, I mean, a lot of people go overboard planning parties. So... Fair point. There's that. <laughs> okay. We're tied up. Uh-oh. You guys are tied one to one. Okay. <laughs> this okay. last one is for all the marbles. You ready? Okay. The last quote is, every night the queue for donuts is unbelievable. Lights, noises, pollution, and horns. All streets blocked and all cars honking at once. All night, every night. What's that about? Who said that? Where is it? What are donuts? they talking about? You said donuts. What right? kind of donuts? I said donuts. What kind of donuts? What's which which brand? Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin' Donuts. Not Dunkin'. Krispy Kreme. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Like, are there any other donuts? I mean, there's like, many other donuts. I mean, there's but those designer are the donuts, but those are like the only two like chains. Wait, so what? What? Krispy Kremes. Okay, Krispy Kremes donuts made news across the pond. Um, a town in Ireland called Blanchardstown, uh, a suburb of Dublin, they got a new Krispy Kreme with a 24-hour drive-through. And the 24-hour drive-through at that Krispy Kreme was so rowdy, they had to shut it down. So that quote was from a resident from this place, Blanchardstown, talking about how the noise from this drive-through line for these Krispy Kreme donuts has been too much. Uh, I feel like there's more to were this story line. than just donuts. <laughs> no, here's the thing: people would be in line for the donuts, but they would keep honking their horns. <laughs> oh, I think that's tape <laughs> of the actual for, for horn. Good, good, good call there. <laughs> Another resident said, since the grand opening, they haven't had proper sleep at night. Are we talking about like at like at bar clothes, like Taco Bell, but like they were going for Krispy Kreme at like three in the morning? I think so. I mean, if I could go get Krispy Kreme donuts 24 hours a day, I'd probably be there at some weird hours too, but I've never in my life honked. <laughs> I once went and w- met a woman who sat in front of a Krispy Kreme for, I think, close to three days to be the first one in so she could get a <laughs> lifetime supply of uh, Krispy Kreme donuts for herself and her family. They are good donuts. They are good donuts. For a lifetime supply, I, 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 can, I can get that. Yeah. I can get behind she that. That's retire. not she like random Friday night needing to honk my horn. <laughs> before I get my Christmas tree. <laughs> um, you know what this means, y'all? You win. Chris, you won. I won. Yes. My grand prize of nothing. Not even a Krispy Kreme. <laughs> you know what? That might be arranged. That might be arranged. All right. Now it's time to end the show as we do every week. We ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Brent, hit the tape. Hey Sam, this is Aisha from Charlottesville, Virginia. And the best part of my week was getting to spend a beautiful week in Maui. You can hear the waves now. 
Thanks, Sam. Love the show. Hi, Sam. This is Ellen calling from St. Paul, Minnesota, where I'm about to harvest my very first butternut squash from my backyard garden. And that's the best thing that's happened to me this week. The best thing that happened to me this week is that I defended my dissertation this morning, and now I'm officially a doctor. The best part of my week was taking my daughter out to the Maker Fair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I got to turn in my resignation at a job I have been trying to leave for the last three and a half years. I lost my voice cheering for my girlfriend's football team. I became an aunt. I got offered a job I really wanted. I'm currently on my way to the airport, to Italy, to go to my brother's wedding. Hey Sam, this is Yuki from the San Francisco Bay Area. The best thing that happened to me this week was celebrating five years together with my partner, camping in the Sierras, enjoying each other's company, and the outdoors. Hey Sam, this is Alex from Willisburg, Kentucky. The best part of my week was finally finishing my master's degree in gastronomy from Boston University. I started this degree in 2013, but had to take a two-year leave of absence when my dad passed away. And now I'm finally able to come back uh, and visit with my dad in the cemetery to tell him that I finished and that I did it. And I know that he'd be very happy. Thanks, Sam. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for keeping me company on the many long hours of planting and weeding and mulching. So I hope you have a great week. Bye. Bye. Many thanks to all the voices you heard there. Aisha, Ellen, Amanda, John, Lisa, John number two, Stacy, Rosa, and Yuki, and Alex. Alex, I know your dad is so, so proud of you. To the other voices in there, I need photos of the butternut squash, of the Maui vacation, of the girlfriend's football team, of the wedding. I want pictures of all this stuff. I love seeing that in the show inbox. All right, we listen to all these that come in. Thank you all for sharing them. You can send me the best part of your week at any point throughout any week. Just email me the sound of your voice to samsanders at npr.org, samsanders at npr.org. We're going to go out with Prince and more from his recently released uh, album of secret demos from 1983. Uh, Thanks so much to my guest, Chris Geidner, who covers the Supreme Court for BuzzFeed News. NPR's Alina Seljuk, uh, business correspondent for NPR. Um, I know y'all were busy. Thank you for your time. Thank Please you. Please spend your entire Thanks. weekend playing that Prince album. It's so good. We will. Yeah, now now we have no choice and honking. Eating Krispy Kremes while playing Prince. <laughs> the show this week was produced by Brent Bachman, Anjali Sastry, and Kumari Devarajan. Kumari, it has been so awesome having you as part of the team for the last few months. Uh, her last day working with us is the taping of the show. I know you're going to go to bigger and brighter and more awesome things. Steve Nelson is our director of programming. Our editor is the fearless Jordana Hochman. And my big boss, uh, NPR's VP of programming, is Anya Grundman. Listeners, refresh your feeds Tuesday morning for our episode all about the history and present and future of coming out. You've heard me plug in this show for a while. We talked with a lot of you for this episode. Very excited to share it with you all. Check your feeds Tuesday. All right. Till next time, thank you so much for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Yeah.